Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com. And by Shorten Associates, legal recruiters in Louisiana and Texas. From Nola Pizza in the Nola Brewing Tap Room on Chapatula Street in New Orleans, we're Out to Lunch with Peter Rashidi, Tulane University's A.B. Freeman School of Business professor and director of the award-winning Birken Road Reports. It's business, New Orleans style. Hi, I'm Peter Rashidi. Welcome to Out to Lunch. If you've ever had a sports injury, uh, put your back out, or had some sort of aggravating pain that never seemed to go away, you may have gone to a chiropractor or an acupuncturist. Or if you really couldn't get to the bottom of exactly what's wrong with you, you may have tried alternative medicine in the form of traditional Chinese herbs. You might also assume, because you're a human being, that I'm directing these remarks at you. But actually, I'm talking about the horses and dogs in the audience. A horse's or a dog's medical trajectory is much the same as ours. When traditional Western medicine doesn't cure what's wrong with them, they or we on their behalf turn to alternative medicine. One of the practitioners of these animal alternatives, Chinese herbal medicine, acupuncture, chiropractic, is Dr. Michelle Jobert. Dr. Jobert is the owner of an alternative veterinarian practice called the Well-Adjusted Pet. Michelle, welcome down to lunch. Hi, thanks for having me. If, like me, you're wondering how you give a horse chiropractic manipulation, we'll get to that exactly how that works in just a minute. Meanwhile, here's an animal question that might be closer to home. Why doesn't your dog do what you tell her? The typical answer to this question is either A, my dog is hard-headed and refuses to obey me, or B, my dog is stupid. The correct answer apparently is neither A nor B. The correct answer is the problem is you. Ann Becknell has been a dog trainer and the owner of a dog training school called Companion Dogs since 1990. Ann says her job is not so much training dogs as teaching a dog's owner how to train their dog. I guess the lesson here is even if you want to work with animals because you prefer them to people, you end up working with people. Ann Becknell, welcomed out to lunch. Hi, I'm happy to be here, thanks. Michelle, I mentioned in the introduction that we approach our animals' medical care the same way uh, we do our own. We try regular medicine first, and if nothing happens, we turn to alternatives like chiropractic, acupuncture, and Chinese herbal medicine. You launched your alternative veterinarian practice, The Well-Adjusted Pet, in 2007. You've been in this business continuously since, so I can only assume that these alternative treatments work. Uh, there are reportedly 87,000 veterinarians in the U.S., but only 9,000 veterinarian acupuncturists and only 634 veterinarian chiropractors, which it seems curious. If these treatments have been demonstrated to work when conventional medical treatments don't, and I guess we could ask this about human medicine too, why is chiropractic, acupuncture, and Chinese herbal medicine such a small slice of animal welfare and still regarded as, as an alternative? Well, I honestly didn't even know those numbers, so thanks for telling me. <laughs> um, I think one of the reasons is because when you go through vet school, it is you know traditional Western or allopathic medicine that you learn. And so to get certified in these other modalities, so acupuncture and chiropractic and so on, you do that after vet school. So you can't get certified 
during that. It's not something that's taught. And people have said at that point, I've, I've had too much <laughs> learning well, already. I think that could be. And I think also it's, you know, about your calling and what you like and what you're meant to do and what you're good at. And so the good news is now through vet school, the students are exposed to these things now. So like, for instance, the LSU vet school has an integrative medicine um, rotation that the students can go through. So for small animals, like the rehab and acupuncture and, and that, so they're exposed to it. But if it's something that they want to do, you have to do that after. I've been told something, is that it's tougher to get into veterinarian school than, than regular medical school? Well, I will tell you one thing. I just had my, vet, my actually 20 year reunion a couple of months ago. And it just so happens there that one of the wives of one of my uh, classmates she had applied to vet school three times and she didn't get in. So then she applied to medical school and, and got in and she did that instead. This is what I've always thought. Yeah. Me and, too. <laughs> and I'm sure we could come up with a long list of the differences between people and dogs. But when it comes to behavior, the difference is pretty obvious. As a person, when someone tells you repeatedly to do something, you quickly understand what's required but you equally quickly come to resent it because most of us don't like repeatedly being told what to do. On the other hand, most dogs love doing what they're told, but they have difficulty understanding what we're getting at. These seem like species design flaws. If people liked doing what they were told, we wouldn't need psychologists. And if dogs understood what they're being told, we, we wouldn't need dog trainers. You're squarely in the middle of this conundrum. You're the person who has to explain to the dog what's required of it, and you have to find a way to tell the dog's human owners what to do in a way that makes them actually do it. So, how much of being a dog trainer is animal communication, and how much of it is human psychology? Well, it's a little bit of both. <laughs> um, for me, the most important thing is that it's fun. That has always been my motto, because if it's not fun, the people aren't gonna do it. If it's a chore, a drudgery, that they have to say, okay, I gotta train for an hour every day or a half an hour and I dread it. Whereas if it's in short little lessons that are all fun and games, but are educational, then people tend to do it more. And the dog just has fun doing the exercises because they're presented in game format. And that's what all of the new modern dog training is all about, is everything is presented in a game format. Now, so this is very different than what I think about, where it's kind of a military kind that of was, That was many, many, many years ago that I did that, everybody did that as dog trainers because there wasn't anything else. That was all that was available. So we all grew up with that. And then uh, some of the national dog trainers like Dr. Ian Dunbar came out and started teaching the new ways. And I saw him in a, in a um, conference and I just got very excited about dog training because it was it made so much sense and it didn't hurt the dogs there was no fear there was no force the dogs enjoyed it I enjoyed it um, and I never looked back Michelle I watched that PBS show uh, all creatures great and small and in that in that situation he goes out to see the animals is that what you do I do I do, for the most part. So because I work on a lot of horses, and so I do barn calls for them. I do, at this point, see small animal patients out of my home office in Folsom, but 
ever since I got out of vet school, I initially started an equine ambulatory practice. So I've basically practiced out of my vehicle the entire, you know, the past 20 years. Wow. <laughs> now, just to get things straight, horses are the biggest part of your what you do, but you do dogs and... Yeah, dogs, bird. cats, the occasional bird, actually. Now, and I'm trying to go over all the things that people say. One of the things they say is you can't teach old dogs new tricks. And that's it's not true. Not true. Look at the not myths true. we're breaking right now. Now, it's true in terms of changing behavior, um, but it's not true as far as teaching them obedience or tricks of any kind. But if you have a behavioral issue, like let's say reactivity on a leash, um, that has to really be done early, earlier the better to help them. And then what do you do in terms of, some people want a private lesson, some want a group lesson. How many lessons do you have before uh, they got it? It depends on, you know, what the problem is. I mean, some dogs are super easy to train and Usually in my private lessons, I'm going for a specific reason, housebreaking or separation anxiety or the something like that where it might be just one lesson, it might be six lessons that they need. Um, and then the group classes, I always do a lot of group classes. It's 13 group classes that people have to sign up for because it, it takes what it takes and just a few lessons is not gonna do it because I have to teach the people and then the people have to teach their dog and they need a lot of help learning to be a dog trainer because that's what I, I, I do is I teach people to be a dog trainer. And Michelle, um, the traditional veterinarian, um, oh, the board and the people that oversee all that, um, do they believe in what you do or are they trying to put up roadblocks or? No, it's um, because it's, newer, which is funny because it's really not. I mean, the right, the Chinese medicine one particularly. is like 2,000 years old, but for Western Jesus medicine. Jesus had a dog, as I recall. So. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um, it's about, at this point, sort of building the foundation and the organizations and associations, like say, so the American Academy of Veterinary Acupuncture and getting that structured in such a way that there's, you know, specific certification and then you can become a fellow of it. And then with, and then that organization then has a seat within the American Veterinary Medical Association board. So to answer your question, it's getting there. And no, they aren't putting up roadblocks, but most certainly they want to make sure that obviously good medicine is practiced and that the standards are upheld and that what is being taught is correct and that if you're going to be certified or become board certified in something that it's up to par, so to speak. And Anne, you and I are about the same age, 25. And uh, we're, <laughs> and you know, a business sort of runs its course. At some point people want to retire. Uh, what do you have? Do you have a succession plan? I do. Uh, I'm 64, so I'm thinking about it. And my career, it's, um, it's pretty physical. You know, I do a lot of walking around and getting up and down off the ground and helping people with big dogs. And so far, knock on wood, I'm still hanging in there. Um, but I think that, which I have done in the past, is 
I'll hire somebody that's young and they can do more of the leg work and I can just teach. But those people are extremely difficult to come by. So you must come by a lot of people that say, I, I love dogs. Right. But that's and, not... And they say, oh, you know, I'll get an email and they say, oh, I, you know, I want to get into this, this profession and, you know, can you teach me everything you know? And I'll just volunteer for you. Well, that, that's not going to work out, right? And so more so I get someone that has a background in dog training and they can actually help me and I'll have them come and I actually hire them to teach some classes and then that helps me because I don't have to teach as many classes per week and I hope that someday as I start to get older I can just implement more of that but unfortunately there are not many people out there that know the skills that I have to have for this job there's just not that many people that that can do it and Michelle, I would assume that your a lot of your business, new business, is word of mouth. Uh, it is. Um, I do have other veterinarians that refer to me. Do you have social media? I do have social media. Not that so, I'm on it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you can, that's not I tell part people, do not message me through Facebook because I will get it six months later, and <laughs> that's when you're going to hear from me. So text me, email me, call me. Like, so I have my website, I have all my contact information there. Yes, I have Twitter. Yes, I have Facebook. Yes, I have Instagram. No, I never go on it. And that's not your part of your marketing plan then? You don't no. need a lot. You don't well, need... I'm not good at it. It yeah. doesn't interest me. Um, I horses can't do it. It's No, it's I have kinda... other things to do. And honestly, it's, it's never brought me new business. Not much at all. Because you're right, it is word of mouth or... If something, somebody has something happen to their dog or their horse and they maybe need a different modality, then they go research and they find it, or their primary veterinarian will recommend it and then recommend me. And Anne, I'm thinking about this training from two ends. One is, you know, they learn to walk with you and they're, you know, you get them under control a little bit. But the other would be in Louisiana, a lot of people go hunting. Do you train for that? I don't. That's a completely different genre of dog training and they have um, dog trainers that just do that. Is it easier or uh, to train a, a female than a male? No. It Does, doesn't matter. All I know here is wrong. This is, this is a yeah. great show. I'm really kind well, of I will just say one thing as far as that goes. So for horses, when they're born, when you have a foal, they need to be standing and nursing within two hours. That's the goal, okay. And I can tell you for a fact that if it's a girl, she is gonna be up and nursing way sooner than the boys do. <laughs> the boys are waiting until it's two hours and then they finally do it. And if it's a girl, they are up in 30 to 45 minutes and ready to go. So. That's all I have to say about that. <laughs> wow. Now, now we're back to things I always thought. This is uh, the, yeah. You're listening to Out to Lunch. I'm Peter Raschuti. I'm talking with veterinarian, animal chiropractor, and acupuncturist and owner of the well-adjusted pet, Michelle Jobert, and dog trainer and owner of Companion Dogs, Anne Becknell. And when you have a business like yours and you want to get out, how do you do it and what's it worth? In, in some sense, you are the company. Yes. I'm a one-person operation. So you have these employees. It's taxing. and you've got Yeah. And it's you've got, very taxing. And you've got to 
a reputation and such, but that's tough to sell, right? I mean, to uh, sell my of, reputation? Yeah, in terms of you know getting money for the business. Well, I would say that would be true in the beginning when you're first starting out, but I've been in New Orleans for over 35 years and um, I don't have to try anymore to get business. I have too much business because almost all of the veterinarians know me. Um, there's, I have so many students out there that recommend me. I have social media too, but I don't try to get business. I really, I don't have to do anything to get business because it just comes to me, which is just a lot of years of putting in the work. When people hire me, they want me. They don't want somebody else that's not as experienced. Michelle, I, I've got to be, these are all been questions I've been thinking about all week. Uh, logistically, when you give a horse chiropractic or um, acupuncture, how do you physically do it? He's a big yeah, person. That's a good question. Yeah. And honestly, <laughs> I wondered that too before I got my certification. So I actually have these two big styrofoam bales that I use to stand on to get the height that I need, like for most of the horse. Um, so as far as like just physically getting into the position that you need, yeah, I definitely need help with that. But then as far as thinking about how you have to be like maybe a big, strong person to do it, it goes back to basic physics, which is force equals mass times acceleration. So it's not about how big you are, but how fast you perform the adjustment. So, and also the joint space that I'm trying to affect isn't that huge. So like the, ver the vertebrae of the horse might be Big. It's bigger than mine, right? But it's absolutely. Okay. But then, but the space where they articulate and where the motion comes from that we're trying to impact change isn't actually that big. It might be, you know, a couple of inches. So that's how. It's about how fast you do it, not how big you are. Wow. Now, what about acupuncture? I mean, do the do the horses need to be knocked out for this? No, no. In fact, most of them. Like do they it. like it? That's most what of my them, was. most of them really do like it. Once they get, we'll have certain points that we start with that we consider to be permission points. Like, okay, we're starting here. How do you like it? You like it? You don't like it? You're trying to kick me or not? And I tell people that if they don't want it, then we'll do something else. So it's really all about what they allow. But for the most part, I don't have very many that I'm not able to perform acupuncture on. And I've got to ask you this question because it's made me think of it. During the pandemic, I've really thought of getting another dog. Is Am I alone in that? No, that is, uh, you know, when we had the lockdown, I had so many people calling me desperate because they needed help and everybody was locked down. And um, I did go see a few people and we just all masked up and trained outside and because they needed help right then and there. And I felt bad for them. I felt like I was doing something wrong, <laughs> but um, it was the only people that I saw. So I was glad to see them. And one of them has, she's still coming to me for dog training and like she kind of got me through the, the lockdown period. Um, but the business has increased a lot because of the pandemic. I was one lucky profession that didn't lose my job, had plenty, plenty, plenty business, and I was very fortunate because so many people got a dog and are still getting dogs because they're mostly staying at home. 
but that did lead to a problem where people weren't getting out and they weren't leaving their dogs alone and the dogs got separation anxiety. And there's a, a whole lot of them out there with separation anxiety. I think I have that. Uh, the <laughs> Michelle, you worked at a racetrack oh and at one point way back. And you know, one of the complaints is always that they get too many drugs. Would this be an alternative? No. No. Unfortunately. <laughs> um, there's a reason I no longer work on the racetrack. So I worked on the racetrack for eight and a half years two different ways. Uh, for four years, I was in private practice there. So like working for the trainers and the owners, like getting the horses ready to race and then, you know, dealing with any injuries or any sickness that they have. And then for the other four years, I was actually the associate track veterinarian. So then I worked for the racetrack, which is ensuring that the horses are sound and ready to race and make sure that they're okay. So and there could be a conflict there between the owner and the racetrack? Well, sure, because yeah. the owner, here's the thing, the problem is though they all want to run so they can all make money and that's where the vets are really important because we are sort of the ones making or giving the horses a voice and making sure that they are in optimal health to do so. and. I, and acupuncture and chiropractic and all of this is great, but the fundamentals of training, unfortunately, a lot of it is medication-based. And so while they're getting better at developing national rules and testing, it is tough because you do have a lot of underhanded people that are looking for you know, the drug from out of the country that they don't have a test for yet and they use it as long as they can and you know as some type of performance enhancement so i would bet that i would not see you betting on the ponies no okay is that why you got out of it because of the dark side of the racing sure it gets it wears on you i mean it really does and um so i think you either become totally numb to it or you get out of it and I was becoming totally numb to it and it was wearing on me and my health and so I had to get out of it. And what would be an example of a, how do you define a failure? Um, it happens and that the norm, I, well sometimes it's the person, sometimes it's the dog. In the case of the person, there have been people that um, they're either unwilling to um, do what I ask them to do, um, and it gets to the point where I just, uh, in a group class, you know, I tell them so many times, five different ways, and they still are doing their own thing, I, I just sort of let them go ahead and do their own thing, and it may or may not work out. and so. Um, sometimes there are people that just don't have the ability to do dog training because of just different things and um, and then they don't do well and they probably blame it on me <laughs> and that's okay uh, and they quit um, in the case of the dogs there are a small per percentage of dogs that have something that 
it, and it, well, let's say the dogs that have an aggression issue that's dangerous, I do usually recommend either that they have to manage the dog and keep them safe and away from people or other dogs, which is hard to do, or put the dog down because there's just nothing that's going to help them with the training. Um, I recommend a vet behaviorist first, and if she can't help them, then that's just it. And some of them do need to be put down. So sometimes it doesn't work out. I used to love a show. I think it was a British woman was the host that uh, no bad dogs. Oh, yeah, Barbara Woodhouse. Yes. Um... Walkies. <laughs> Remember that? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> oh, yeah. And I have a question for you. Okay. So, like you said, with the lockdown, people have been home with their pets. And I, of course, have pets. I have five dogs now. Just got a new addition over Christmas. The dogs are now completely accustomed to having a human with them at all times. And I would like to get to the point where I can leave the house again. <laughs> with my wife and we can go do something and have the dogs not destroy so the, the house of, so the two of you can't leave well let me put it this somebody way somebody home all the time i have one little terrier mix named daisy may who gets very unhappy if we leave the house without her so what do you mean by very unhappy like we have to make sure that everything is picked up that she can't get to any paper on the table, that if there's anything that she can potentially chew up that isn't a toy, just to let us know that she is unhappy, that she has been left without a human, she will let us know. Have you put a camera on her to watch what happens when you're gone? No. That's the first step. Like a GoPro around their neck or something like that? You put a little Nest camera okay. on them so you can watch okay. to see what their anxiety level is during okay. the time that you're gone. And when they get the most anxiety, like is it right when you leave or is it more near the end? Or So you, you want to know what's going on. That's okay. the very first step. Okay. Do you ever put her behind a gate so that mm. she doesn't have access to your whole house? Well, they really, I, I, we have certain areas gated off, like my office that they're not allowed to go into. But this is even just like in the living room that, you Could know. Could she be gated off in the kitchen? She would not be happy. <laughs> with that and she kind of rules the house like she just lets us live there and pay the mortgage really well that might be your problem yeah <laughs> I think so. because it's it's about the dogs being our companions mm. and not about ruling the whole house there are rules and boundaries for dogs that they have to learn and yeah. I so might need you to come help me teach the, and that. really for the separation anxiety dogs I usually give them to dr. Laura Ansel, who is the is she behaviorist. Or? She's in Mandeville, I think. Oh, she's, oh. she's on the North Shore. Yes, she But just she moved comes back. to New Orleans. Yes. She's, she just got back. She yes. was on hiatus. That's right. A sabbatical. But she's the one that does the really difficult behavior problems. I'm a dog trainer. Right. And separation anxiety is the hardest behavior to treat. Right. in dogs the if they are exhibiting physical symptoms like mm -hmm. you know they're panting they're <clears throat> chewing out of a cage they're jumping through windows physically harming sure. themselves those are the cases that are really really difficult yeah, that's now tough. if she's just chewing up a few pieces of paper that's really not a big deal no it's not a big it's not a huge deal but yeah. she just lets us know that 
she is unhappy and I guess yes. what it just also might take time of us continuing to yes. go out yes but <laughs> and letting first her thing is camera camera because you don't know what she might not be as bad off as you think or she might be worse than you think Good you point. need to know what's going on Good point. Well, I hope she's not. Uh, these dogs aren't eating your your business <laughs> records because that would be tough during an audit. But that's they... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you definitely have to watch what we keep out. <laughs> it's, it's a lot harder when you have multiple dogs. Yeah. They, it's it's better for the separation anxiety because they have a friend. Oh, that's what I tell them. Yeah. Like there are five <laughs> like of you. Can't five. you entertain each other? Yeah, but but evidently they need a human to do that I don't know so Michelle uh, how do you get paid is it by the visit or are you like on retainer for people no yeah it's by visit so you know by services rendered is must be tough for you to budget in that way right yes it is it's tough and actually I just agonized for months over having to increase my prices January 1st because I haven't changed my prices in five years and so obviously with inflation but it's it's I truly agonized over it because you hate to do it I hate to do it I mean I would work for free if I could because I do love my job but I do have to pay the bills as well so it is tough and it's now that there are more people out there doing it as well I looked around, I'm like, wait a second, there are people out here who have way less experience than I do, charging way more. So that's a little irksome, but. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's the first chapter of an economics book. I think you got it. Mm. There's, uh, and I probably, you've probably been asked this many times, but um, do you train cats? No. No, they, um, <laughs> they seem like they really have. No cat training. Yeah, they <laughs> seem to have a different agenda yeah. than, uh, than most of us. <laughs> yeah. There's no doubt we're making huge advances in all kinds of fields of human endeavor. A virtual assistant can give us instant answers to almost any question we asked. AI is on the way to learning almost everything humans can do, and we're seriously investigating building inhabitable cities on other planets. But with all these advances, we still haven't made much progress on how to communicate with the millions of creatures who share this planet with us, present company excluded. Michelle and Anne, you spend all of your professional lives communicating with dogs and horses. Your animal clients and their human companions greatly appreciate you, and I do. Thank you both for taking the time today to join me for Out to Lunch. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having us. My guests on Out to Lunch today have been Dr. Michelle Jobert, veterinarian, animal chiropractor, acupuncturist, and owner of the Well-Adjusted Pet, and Ann Becknell, dog trainer and owner of Companion Dogs. We edited the show to fit into the time slot here on WWNO. You can hear our unedited conversation and find out more about Ann and Michelle and horses and dogs by listening to the Out to Lunch podcast. You can find and subscribe to the Out to Lunch podcast on your podcast app and on our website, itsneworleans.com. If you want to know what we all look like, you can find photos from this show on itsneworleans.com and on our Out to Lunch social media. Out to Lunch is a production of INO Broadcasting for itsneworleans.com and WWNO 89.9 FM. 
The producer of our show is Grant Morris, our technical producer is Eric Merle, and our researcher is Maggie Mendel. I'm Peter Rashidi. Thanks for joining me. I look forward to meeting you again next week around the lunch table for more business, New Orleans style, on Out to Lunch. Out to Lunch was recorded live over lunch at the NOLA Brewing Tap Room, 3001 Chapatula Street, open seven days a week. NOLA Brewing Tap Room has a wide variety of craft beers and authentic hand-tossed New York-style city pizza by NOLA Pizza. More information is at nolabrewing.com. Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com. And by Shorten Associates, legal recruiters in Louisiana and Texas. Mitchell Foreman wrote and performs all the music on Out to Lunch. You can hear Mitchell's music anywhere great jazz is sold or streamed and at MitchellForeman.com.